And it's good to be here again, and it's always good to have someone who's never heard you preach tell you how good it's going to be. <laughs> Our scripture for tonight is a familiar one. Actually, it's the one that immediately precedes one that uh, Melissa preached on a couple of weeks ago. This is the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, anoint your words of Scripture, the words of Jesus that speak to us in our hearts and anoint the words that I speak, that they may reflect your truth and challenge us in the way we live. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You kind of have to have a sense of the setting of where this scripture takes place. The land of Palestine consisted of three sections, the area of Galilee in the north, an area called Samaria in the middle, and the territory of Judah in the south. So anybody traveling from Galilee to 
uh, Judah, or vice versa, would have to either go through Samaria or they would go around to the Jordan River to bypass that area. And there was a reason for that, because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And we'll get to more about that later. <clears throat> Jesus has done almost all of his ministry in Galilee. He's completed that ministry, and he uh, is preparing to head to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. So he takes the disciples and he says, uh, who do people say I am? And Peter's the one who says, you're the Christ of God. And Jesus then tells them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. Then Jesus takes the, uh, the twelve disciples to Mount Tabor, where uh, Peter, James, and John go apart with him up on the mountain, and that's where Jesus is transfigured and talks with Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John are just sort of overwhelmed with the whole thing. Then he comes down, and he journeys to Jerusalem through Samaria which is not what Jews normally did. He empowers and sends to the Samaritan towns ahead of him 72 of his disciples in pairs, quote, like lambs among wolves, end quote, to prepare those in Samaria for his coming to them. Then, when this story happens, He's somewhere, most likely, in or around um, the area of Jerusalem, certainly most likely in Judah. And I say that because we're talking about priests and Levites who definitely would not be in Samaria. So there are some questions this passage raises. Number one, who are the lawyers? Number two, who is my neighbor? Number three, who is a Samaritan? Number four, what in the world is the Jericho Road, and how does that play in this? Number five, who are the priests and Levites? And there probably should be a sixth question, and that is, who is the man that was robbed? Who is the lawyer? The man addressing Jesus was most likely a scribe. They were specialized in the Mosaic law. And um, they often opposed Jesus' perspective on the law. You may recall that Jesus is often heard, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, saying, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you. Jesus was always reinterpreting the Mosaic law from a perspective of love and mercy rather than um, uh, straightforward, um, I forget what you call it. Anyway, by the letter of the law. Um, this, um, in uh, Luke 15, they say, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they're not happy about a lot of the things he does. 
And the lawyer addresses Jesus with a disrespectful title. He calls him teacher, which is what in the Gospels those who oppose Jesus call him. Those who are in favor of him call him good teacher. It's a slight difference. The word test used here is the same word that's used to describe Jesus' testing in the wilderness after his baptism. And this, this lawyer's question is like all the others that try to chat, trap Jesus, like the ones, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Hoping that he'll answer one way or the other, in which case he can't win. But he never does that. In fact, the word, um, and Jesus had unfavorable things to say about lawyers, such as the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 5, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Which makes this lawyer's question a rather interesting and legitimate one. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Here we go, Marissa, <laughs> you and I. Uh, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on the garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. And then the rest of that chapter consists of seven woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, seven different ones. So you can see that the scribes and Jesus aren't exactly in favor of each other here. However, the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is a legitimate Jewish law question. It was a legal question for the lawyer because it's about defining who is in and who is out. Who is not one's neighbor for a first century Jew? Amy Jill Levine writes that for Hebrews at that time, the term neighbor refers either to one in a legal relationship or an intimate relationship. And for most of the Jews, it referred primarily to those in the covenant, the Jews themselves. So those who were not part of the covenant were not their neighbor. That's a technical term. Uh, the Levitical law code is only for those within this Israelite community. So one needs to know who are considered in the community and thereby defines who are not included in the community. It is asking the question, who am I not to love? Who does not deserve my love? What needs may I ignore, and whom may I hate? The written Torah was pretty explicit 
And now we get to the issue of the, the um, um, priest and Levite. And uh, the general concern is you don't touch a dead body because um, it makes you unclean and therefore you have to go through a week's cleaning ritual in order to participate in worship again. Uh, however, um, that comes out of Leviticus 21, uh, the law given to uh, Moses for the Levites. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die. That is, his own kindred, his own family. He can't even touch them when they die. But the oral Torah tradition that was built up after that uh, had a whole different view of this. It required a man be buried even if it meant ritual impurity, even for the high priest. A high priest or a Nazarite may not contract uncleanness because of their dead kindred, but they may contract uncleanness because of a neglected corpse. Now that's kind of interesting. So that's sort of the background of the Levite and the priest as they come and approach this man. This is, this is a spiritual struggle for them. So um, we can be hard on them, but we also have to be hard on ourselves here. Uh, the oral Torah said that the spirit of the law meant that saving life at all costs was more important than purity, which was one of Jesus' points, even if it meant violating the Torah. <clears throat> saving a life is so important that Jewish law mandates that it override every other concern, including observing the Sabbath. And the Jerusalem Talmud states, as long as there are no other people to look after the burial of a corpse, the duty is incumbent on the first Jew who passes by, without exception, to perform the burial. Burying the dead was one of God's highest commandments in Judaism, and I quote, for it is one of the few acts that cannot be repaid by the person who benefits from it." End quote. So perhaps the question, who is my neighbor, brought to Jesus' mind the words of Hosea 6, where God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So who is not included in our definition of neighbor? Who might Jesus use for us going down a Jericho road today to be the body in the road? That's an interesting question. Um, Amy Levine says it might even be Osama bin Laden. So then who are the Samaritans? Well, the animosity between Samaritans and Jews is often highlighted in sermons. Um, <clears throat> you see, one of the things 
that's a problem in this parable, at least in terms of its traditional interpretations, is that everybody assumes the man in the road is a Samaritan. I'm sorry, it's a good Samaritan. They assume the man in the road is a Jew because he's on the Jericho Road down in Judah. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily, but the, the parable never tells us who that man is. He is simply described as a man. He might even be another Samaritan. There's no way to know who he is. And I think it was probably um, Jesus' intention to leave his identity undefined. Samaritans and Jews hated each other each claimed to follow the correct form of Judaism as illustrated in the story of the woman at the well in Samaria. Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, Samaritans worshipped in temples in Dan and Bethel. When Jews from the north in Galilee traveled through Samaria to Judah, the Samaritans would refuse them hospitality. And hospitality was one of the highest standards in that part of the world at the time. Um, most Jews traveled east of the Jordan River Valley and then ar went around the Samaritan territory. Now the Samaritans weren't so mean about it if they were going away from Jerusalem. But to head to Jerusalem, that was a different story. Samaritans even once snuck into the Jerusalem temple and scattered bones of dead people throughout the temple, which of course made it unclean and unfit for worship. And this was at Passover. It was said that a Jew would rather die than even be touched by a Samaritan. Many commentators assume, because it's the Jericho Road, uh, that this person is a Jew, and I've covered that. So all this issue of animosity in the parable is only an assumption and is helpful, but essentially irrelevant to the parable's message. So where's the, Jer the Jericho Road? The Jericho Road goes from Jerusalem, which is on the top of a mountain, all the way down towards the Jordan River to the town of Jericho. It's an 18 and a half mile stretch of road that winds and turns through extremely mountainous and rocky terrain and descends 2,500 feet. There are loads of places on this road and it is infamous as a place where robbers hide in these places uh, and attack unwearing um, travelers. So anybody who knows anything about this area at all would almost never travel the Jericho Road by themselves. It's asking for trouble. But you know, the Samaritan is doing the same thing. And the Samaritan has stuff that robbers would want. He has wine, he has clothing, he has a donkey, and he has money. I mean, he's a prime target. And yet here he is, traveling the road, just like the man who was robbed. 
Simply put, never travel dangerous roads alone. Now, one thing this parable is not saying is that helping someone else, putting compassion for the hurting into action, always ends in joy and has a happy ending. It may imply that, but it doesn't say that. I mean, the same thing could have happened to the Samaritan that happened uh, to the other man. A real-life, true Good Samaritan story happened on April 18, 2010, when a Guatemalan immigrant named Hugo Alfredo Taliax came to the aid of a woman who was being threatened by a man wielding a knife. Taliax struggled with the attacker, but was eventually stabbed and left to die on a Jamaica Queens street. Now, some of you may remember this. I, I remember hearing it uh, on the news. The woman and the attacker fled in different directions while this man lay bleeding in the street. Video surveillance filmed portions of the attack and its aftermath. The cameras showed that one man actually came by and photographed Tail Yaks with a cell phone. All refused to render aid or even contact authorities. I mean, it is New York, after all. Uh, the closest anyone came to helping was a man who shook the body vigorously but walked away after seeing the pool of blood. Firefighters arrived 15 minutes later, but by then it was too late. Bandits are still around today. And it doesn't always end nicely. So the element of risk is a part of what it means to show mercy. Martin Luther King Jr. imagined a new angel, uh, angle for the priest and Levite. He said, it's possible these men were afraid. And so the question that the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Now, I don't believe that Jesus is saying here, but I mean, this is a parable after all, that we should make stupid uh, choices um, in the way we uh, show mercy, that we should be reasonably cautious. <clears throat> but um, loving the neighbor is not about categories of people. It's about our heart and our heart's spirit of compassion for others, particularly those in need. It's about who we are as Christians responding to God's loving mercy that has been shown to us. Shouldn't the love of God that flows through us show mercy to others because God has shown mercy to us. 
God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites as a way of defining who God's people would be because they were to reflect the character of God. Jesus came to fulfill the law by showing it's not just about obedience to a set of rules. It's about having and reflecting the spirit and heart of God whose love is so complete it never thinks about itself first but about the other. And even when it does and realizes it's about to suffer because of it will do it anyway. Thus Jesus' statement in the Garden of Eden, not my will, but yours be done. <clears throat> As Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the letter of 1 John declares, God is love. So whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And also, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So is neighbor defined by some external criteria or by the compassionate nature of our own heart? Who does your heart not view as your neighbor? Now, I know it's easy to say, yeah, I, I know the parable of good, and I know I'm supposed, everybody's my neighbor, I know that. But down to the reality of daily living, who would you pass by because they're not your neighbor? That's a hard question. Jesus wants to know what you redefine your neighbor as, and thereby transforms your heart. The Word of God. Amen.